0: Hey, everybody, thanks for joining us here on Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Matt Mitchell, the running editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. My guest this week is Elon Lieber, who, in addition to being an accomplished ultra runner for Rabbit Elite's trail team with a few hundred mile victories under his belt, is also the senior marketing manager for Equator Coffee, a company that does some really good work to support the endurance community they keep fueled on a daily basis. I had Elon on about a week after his second place finish at the Miwok 100K up in Northern California, which he described to me as quote unquote, the run of his life, but not necessarily for the reasons you might expect. Actually, a few weeks before his race, when most athletes are typically near the peak of their training cycles, Elon was back home in Ohio, saying goodbye to his grandfather for the final time. Our discussion gets into the rest of the story behind his race and includes some really powerful lessons about overcoming loss, letting go of fear, and the role running plays in accomplishing both. We also ended up talking a bit about Elon's career in specialty coffee, the importance of building community-focused brands through hiking with Billy Yang in the middle of a pandemic, and a whole lot else. So let's get into my conversation with Elon. All right, Elon, welcome to the podcast. I'm really glad we can make this happen.
1: Me too, man. It's great to be here.
0: So you are hot off a second place finish at the Miwok 100K. And I know off air, you described that race as, quote unquote, the run of your life, which I thought was pretty great. And uh, I really want to dig into that for sure. But before we do, I want to ask you what the first 24 hours were like after your race. It's uh, something that like I feel like doesn't get a lot of attention. Is like what these people do, what these athletes do after they cross the finish line, and their bodies are just like completely shelled from running all day. And I think that like the physical and emotional toll these ultra events take deserves a bit more coverage and oftentimes there's there's funny stories uh that come out of people's uh, post-race states
1: well i can i appreciate it and uh, i'm super happy to chat with you matt i think the first 24 hours after miwok was definitely the most sore i've ever been <laughs> mm-hmm. after an ultra which i think maybe that's tied closely to Uh, a big PR, but also to the fact that I hopped on an airplane and, uh, I actually ended up flying, um, the next day, uh, I took a red eye back to Ohio. Uh, I unfortunately lost my grandfather, um, Ted during the, the Miwok 100K and he'd been sick for a long time. He'd entered hospice. And so I was kind of thinking about him a lot during the race. Um, but so it was a pretty big whirlwind of having this really amazing Saturday straight into, to flying Sunday and then a funeral on Monday. And, uh, on a, he was a pretty funny guy, so I can definitely say he probably was laughing at me walking to his funeral, very stiff-legged, and uh, I was walking closer to what he looked like walking around at 95, but he was very much an athlete. He was the first uh, person that kind of introduced me to sport, so I think he probably uh, got a good kick out of it, was out there with me, so.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I want to I wanna definitely get into that later as well, because um, I know that was something that, that really occupied... Um, a lot of your build up to that race. But you mentioned flying back to Ohio, which is where you're from. And I'm wondering what your childhood was like growing up there, because I, I think many people don't associate Ohio with exactly a, a, a hotbed for trail running. Um, so were you athletic as a kid growing up outdoorsy at all?
1: I would say I was athletic, not necessarily outdoorsy, um, you know, half the year in Ohio, we were definitely spending inside. Um, but yeah, I grew up playing ball sports. I think like most Midwest kids, football and basketball were really my first like two sport loves. And, uh, I thought of running as training for those sports. I really never thought of it as something that like was something I would love to do and become a a endurance runner nonetheless. Um, but It wasn't until my family moved out to the Bay Area when I was an undergrad at Ohio State that I even realized like trails were a thing. And this is when the ultra running boom started. And then I moved down to, to Southern California to LA for grad school and fell in with a great running group called the SoCal Coyotes that showed me really what trail running is all about. And I think it's stayed with me for now. It's been almost a decade of, of ultra running and exploring. And it's, I feel very, very fortunate and grateful to kind of have found that group to have found trail running. Cause I loved sport, but I like trail running is very much like a huge part of who I am. And it's taught me in an in, indescribable amount of le- life lessons about like you know, there's a lot of highs and lows and you, we hear like the, the classic life in a day ultra running, it's all these things. But for me, it's a lot more in my day to day. that trail running helps me, you know, I think, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in like week over week working the grind, all these things and not appreciate, you know, what's insanely beautiful right on our back doors and around us. And with trail running, I mean, it's so cool. I get to wake up early and get out with friends and adventure and and have this whole part of my life that like very few people get to explore it makes life a lot richer
0: so you mentioned you did your undergrad at ohio state and i know you majored in exercise science what did you want to do with that degree
1: we actually call it the ohio state university that's what i've I've learned from all my california friends uh (laughs) no i i studied exercise science and i really thought i'd be a physical therapist um you know i was very much into sports like I mentioned growing up and it was a way for you know if you're not going to be a professional athlete being a PT is a great way to interact and like work with athletes and be kind of in that that world Um, but I realized towards the end of the program that as much as i was fascinated by physiology and how the body works that i was really studying my hobby and it was much more i was interested in it from a personal standpoint not a professional standpoint so i i used grad school as an excuse to to come to california and i studied public health which it's an interesting time with physiology because physiology is incredibly micro and, like, very much how the body works. You know, you get down to this absolutely granular level and you get to understand both how people's body, but even your own body, and you know all the processes and the names for everything. But then you zoom out to public health and I got this really, you know, bird's eye view of of how our society's health works. And my focus was health policy. And so the combinations actually really served me well, both professionally but also personally, because the biggest thing I took away from my public health degree was that it's very hard to influence people. You know, we've we've known these basics of health of you should exercise three to five times a week. A mix of aerobic strength all these things it's been the same since the 50s the surgeon general has been saying that stuff but it's hard to have a, you know that that influence on people and to motivate people and i think a lot of that it's intrinsic motivation you find the things that work for you and the switch for me was really actually when i did kind of find trail running because i realized all the stuff i'd been doing exercise wise before was like it wasn't, it never came naturally to me. And then I started trail running. I was like, Oh, this is my thing. Like, I, I love doing this. I feel great doing this. I don't think of it as exercise. I just think of it as venture.
0: Yeah. And that's something that I, I think a lot of people can relate to because I know so many people that are, are athletic, but there's something distinct about like trail running in particular that like, has a slightly different like hue to it that makes it like kind of shine a bit brighter. And it's different than like going to the gym and hopping on a cardio machine. And I'm, I'm wondering like if you could speak more on that, because I think that's a really, really interesting insight.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard friends of ours say this, you know, that like trail running finds you and I don't know as much that it finds you, but I think when you, when people find it, it's like finding that perfect person, that right partner. I think it's just something that can really click. And it's uh it's hard to it's hard to put it into words you know you you feel it when you're out there and i think it, it inevitably true trail runners or true ultra runners it's a small group you know and, and you kind of connect with people and you see things a certain way i, I described it once to uh a, a boss i had a long time ago that we were preparing for a big pitch to to target about getting our product in their stores nationwide and it was like an early morning thing and she was super nervous and You know, we were going into it and I I was relatively calm and she was like, how are you like calm? You're like my junior person and you have all this, the slides. Like, why aren't you like stressed? And I was like, well, I climbed up a mountain this morning. You know, I was up, I've been up for four or five hours. Like, it's all good. Like this stuff is going to be, you know, like I'd done the thing that made me really happy and feel accomplished that day. Not, it wasn't about the pitch to target that like target has 20 pitches a day. You know, if they want to pick us, they're going to pick us, but I don't have control of that, but I have control of getting out and seeing stuff. And like, you know, I'd seen an insane sunrise that morning and I was just already happy.
0: Yeah. And I also think you've like done something incredibly hard already, right? Like for some people, getting out the door and going on a trail run is like the hardest thing they'll do all day. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's very much like all downhill after that. Yeah. Uh, pardon the pun.
1: It gives us a sense of accomplishment that I think people more and more, and especially in a lot of, I think, what I would call more white collar type jobs, and especially being here in the Bay Area tech jobs where you're sitting, you're on your computer, you're in endless meetings, people are talking about circling back, taking it offline, all these words that like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, let's just get some stuff done. But when you're running with your friends, like, and it's six and you, and you committed, and it's like, you just show up and you do it, and you have that experience. It's it's a special feeling for sure. And the race ends up being like a celebration of all those things or, you know, more often than not, it ends up being like, oh, my God, why am I putting myself through this? The training is so much better than the racing.
0: Well, I think you kind of led us into a perfect segue to talk about what came after um, your work in public health, because I know you you transitioned out of that into um, what you're currently doing, uh, or at least adjacent to it while also continuing to, to trail run and, and compete at a, a really high level.
1: Yeah. So I, I I studied public health and then I actually met the founder of Tom's Shoes. Um I, I grew up in the coffee industry. My parents own coffee shops and I actually met him at the first Tom's coffee shop uh, in Southern California and uh, we got to know each other and, and one thing led to another and I, I joined Tom's at a time when they were still a little bit smaller. At the time uh, Tom's was was still relatively new and growing quite a bit and they wanted to launch a coffee company and uh, the idea was that it'd be a new one for one product and every time that they sold coffee we would donate and support with safe water initiatives and so. Long story short, I left grad school, joined Tom, spent about four, four and a half, five years with them, and then moved up here to the Bay Area where I've been with Equator Coffee since 2016. Um, and I was their first marketing hire. And, you know, we at the time in 2016, we were really just a wholesale coffee rooster with one cafe. And it's been fun to see the, the company grow. We now have... Uh, over ten coffee shops. We just opened our first in Southern California. Uh, a pretty significant uh, online wholesale or online subscription coffee business as well. But the company's really grown diversified. It's it's been a, a fun journey to be a part of, and it's still you know 100 owned and founder led. So you know I get to work really closely with our leadership team, and so it's been a fun ride.
0: Yeah, it's also kind of cool to see how your two professional tracks have kind of been in orbit of trail running right like exercise science obviously has some pretty uh pretty straightforward connections uh, to trail running and then and then coffee yeah I don't know too many ultra runners that <laughs> that don't abuse coffee
1: I, I don't trust them for sure but that's what we try at equator I think that's one of our differentiators is uh you can have great coffee but you can have it the way you want you know it's very much like we try to be the approachable third wave coffee roaster I think even within, you know, trail running there and any fast, any running where there's, you know, faster people, that doesn't mean you can't be inclusive and welcoming. And and it's definitely a huge part of like our brand identity and good. I'm glad because I do love great coffee, but my wife drinks not so great coffee. That's not equator. And I've learned to, to love her anyway.
0: Sticking on equator for a minute. Cause I know that I almost see equator locations as uh kind of like embellished feed stations for all the um, endurance athletes in uh, the Bay Area, whether that's like hitting an equator for a latte after a run or stopping by a location in the middle of a ride. I think like Equator as a brand like leans into that too, and I'm wondering like what your thinking is behind that and how much you were involved in really pushing the brand towards um, being a huge part of an athletic community.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a big part of it. Honestly, it's very intentional. Um, you know, when we opened our, our first cafe, I hadn't joined yet, but I very much saw it as a, uh, coming in from the marketing lens that you know being based in north in the North Bay in Marin County. We had a huge opportunity to really connect with people. I I hesitate to only call it for athletes because it's honestly for us, it's even more inclusive. You know, whether you're running, hiking, cycling, Equator is kind of there to help fuel your day. And we love that identity. And so we've we've let it leaned into it from both like an events community standpoint you know we do support athletes but we support other people that are active in the community pretty much if you're a neighborhood person you know you're going to be an equator person and that's why a lot of our cafes they're both you know very close to nature and accessible to the trails but they're also very much community hubs so we really try to position ourselves at that intersection of like For example, our Larkspur cafe, you know, it's right at the thoroughfare of great cycling and there's trails right there, but it's also kind of at the edge of the town. So it's like, you can easily get there walking from your neighborhood, wherever you live. And it's really important to us because I think at the end of the day, it's, uh, coffee is really about community. You know, it's, it's about the location. It's about being connected to the people around you and you can have a great cup of coffee and a great product, but if you're not from a retail standpoint, in a spot that's supporting people and what their interests are, it's it's hard to to be successful.
0: So let's redirect back to your running career. So you're down in LA. uh, You've just fallen in with a great group of runners. Um, How did that progress for you?
1: Uh, Well, it spent... I'd say the first year was like the complete shock to my system of what running uphill is and i'd still say it's the weakest part of my running but honestly i grew up where it's like pancake flat ohio like there are no hills um so i think the first run i ever went out with the socal coyotes was going up uh uh sullivan canyon and it was just like completely dark and like the first half mile stretch is flat and then you go straight up for like three miles i was just absolutely dying um so the first year or so was really just like learning the sport getting into it reading all the books that i could because as especially then you know i was very much a reader i still am a reader but in the research standpoint so i wanted to learn as much as i could and um i'd done some road running and dabbling and marathoning in college towards the end of my college time and really was not that into it um and so i started reading a lot of books and I signed up for a 50 K, you know, a handful of months into LA and, and then did the progression of, I think that first two years, I worked my way up to a hundred miler and I ran pine to palm in 2013 and DNF at mile 66 and had just like the full gamut of the ultra experience. You know, like I got the runs, you know, nausea, all, all the things you could have in like, but it was like such an insane day and it was like i had friends out there and totally was like oh my god this is the first time i actually failed something i can't believe i couldn't do it and i think if i had done it and it had been easy and like you know just worked out i think maybe i wouldn't have been or turned into ultra i am now but i really fell in love with like wow there's like a lot of challenges here that are not only about running and I think that's kind of what's kept me coming back to ultra running. And, you know, I, I went and did uh, Angelus Crest 100, which if you've never done it, I highly recommend it's a so, Southern California classic the next year and finished that as my first hundred miler. And I kind of haven't looked back. I've done a hundred miler uh, every year since. And I've definitely enjoyed other distances, but a lot of it has been kind of built around the hundred mile uh, ultra distance for sure.
0: Okay. Explain. What about because like, I, I feel like that is for a lot of people. It's like, yeah, like 100 miles, right? It's like it's sexy. And I just want to be able to say I ran 100 miles. But I think like going back to what you mentioned about how it's it's more than just running that keeps you coming back. Like, what do you mean by that? I think I have a good, good idea of what uh, your answer might be, but I want to hear you articulate it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a hundred miles it's, it's no matter what, it's going to be a journey. You know, I've had some really, really strong hundreds and some hundreds that didn't go as well, but for each one, it's not something that you can totally train for. You can set yourself up for success and you can have a great crew and like you can do all the little things, right. But you're still going to have a day. And I think there's a, something special about you have to adapt and change and like roll with what's coming. And we just don't get that in our daily life. You know, we really don't like, there's a certain element of control. And I think for any runner, we like control. We like setting our schedule. We like routine. And you give that up when you're running a hundred miles, you really like, you have to, to be able to be flexible and like listen to your body and connect with yourself. And I think, uh, having that like keeping that you know I, I wouldn't recommend doing it much more than once a year but it really it kind of keeps me grounded into like I, I definitely can fail I mean I, it's not to say that I don't fail at other, other things like I'm always striving to be better but it's I've definitely I'm 7 for 10 on 100 milers and like Last year, I DNF'd Western States, which was like like anybody. I'd been in the lottery for six years and so amped to do it. And I did all the things right. And I still, I didn't have my day. I dropped at 85, but then it lit that fire that much more. And two months later, I went and ran my first sub- Twenty-hour, hundred-miler, at a race in Oregon that, like, I totally fell in love with, and I had a really special experience with Gabby, where it's like just the two of us. It couldn't have been more different. The scene at states to this race called Oregon Cascades, and that's what's super cool to me about hundred-milers and ultras is you you never know what the experience is going to be, but it's going to be an experience.
0: Yeah, they definitely have a way of kind of um, uh, leaving more of a mark in your mind. Um, than some of the shorter distances. I think I read somewhere, I forget where you wrote this, but you said, Ultra running takes us into this raw space that we rarely get to visit. When you're there, life gets boiled down to its most simple layers, but it doesn't always show you what you want to see. Um, and I'm wondering if, I think you wrote that, I don't know, sometime last year, and I wonder if you've thought about that quote at all.
1: The, the, you know, life is not perfect you know you can have a lot of things going well and a lot of things not going well and generally they happen both at once and I think to me like ultra running reminds me of that really concretely you know I, for me like in 2021 there were some insane highs I got married like this is the best thing ever you know and, and this year there's been some great highs but there's also there's lows like my grandfather passed away during New York. yeah I think that ultra running has really helped me kind of do the opposite of compartmentalize, but to live in the moment of like both good and bad happen at the same time. And it's more about being, feeling comfortable experiencing both things at once. And I think when you're able to experience both things at once from a running standpoint, you know, not taking too much out of like, it, you just train and you go run, but you can be a great ultra runner because usually it's, you can feel great and be hurting at the same time. And the more you want to perform, it's riding that line really closely. And as for me, I've definitely gotten a, much better as an ultra runner kind of being on that line because I would hundred percent be the first to tell you, I have very few CRs on Strava and I'm not uh, a fast marathoner. I think I my fastest marathon. I ran two fifty nine fifty nine at the SF Marathon in twenty thirteen, and I was like, "This is it. I have no interest in doing this stuff anymore. Like, I want to stay on the trails." So, but I've continued to improve as a, an ultra runner because I've kind I've kind of tried to connect that mind body a lot more closely.
0: So, one thing I'm I'm curious about. Uh, it sounds like you're one of those ultra runners that likes to race a lot, and I think uses races as like a barometer of, of fitness and also just like, I don't know where you're at mentally. And I know that for everyone in the sport, there weren't a lot of races in 2020. So I'm wondering, um, how you coped with that.
1: That's a great question. Uh, I definitely do enjoy racing. I need the race to, I think, motivate me to train, you know, otherwise I, I do sleep in, uh, and, and enjoy non running things. Um, So in terms of 2020, uh, I actually did my other, like, I'd say as I get older, what I'll probably do that much more is thru-hike. Gabby and I my now wife, who I ended up proposing to at the end of this, we hiked the John Muir Trail. And that was our big kind of summer goal motivation to kind of get outside. I mean, it did get to a point where it was like I felt really lucky that I had running just to be able to get outside on a daily basis. But we, we threw hiked the John Muir Trail with a good friend of ours. And uh, at the uh, at the end, I proposed to her and, and fortunately she said yes. So it was, it was quite the experience.
0: I want to get into that a bit more because a good friend of yours was (laughs) a previous podcast uh, guest, Billy Yang, who made a a pretty great video um, of your trip that uh, we'll link in the show notes. Um, But what did you take from that trip, both personally and like as an athlete? Because I think there's been a lot of writing recently in the past six months or so about like why thru-hikers make such good ultra runners. I think there's also something that like is inherently like non-competitive and beneficial to through hiking that like you don't really need to tie to like athletic performance.
1: I would say through hiking is definitely closer to 100 mile ultra running. You know, I think in general, uh, the the thing I would say it's most similar is a, a love of the outdoors. You know, I think as much as I love the trail run, it's still like I feel like you dip your toes in nature. You know, and then you come back out back into the real world. When you through hike, you fully immerse yourself in it and you're whether it's seven days or this trip was 14 days. You know, the experience is a little bit more that slower drip. You know, you really get to sit in it versus running through it. And they're distinctly different, you know, like the trip was physically challenging. Absolutely. You know, you, you're out there, you're, you're sleeping less, you're at altitude, all those things that go into it. It's not, it's, but it's again, more of that slow trip. It's not the same, like, Oh man, I'm, I'm running out that line right now. I can only do this for X amount of minutes or hours. It's, you know, I'm being worked, but I I feel like I'm filling my soul. Like I really am having this awesome, awesome experience. And The thing that I love the most about thru-hiking is I've never thru-hiked by myself, but I I imagine even people that thru-hike solo, you know, any thru-hiker I've met, we love, everybody loves to talk because you're in this like element where very few life points where you know we're always engaged with other things things are always pulling our attention and distracting us When you're through hiking you're fully there there's nothing else going on actually you know i really saw that with billy i mean billy is a very popular content creator and he's always got something going on and for like that two weeks you know it's the best version of ourselves, you know, fully present. And I think you kind of see it in the video, you know, he, although there, he did suffer quite a bit with his feet, (laughs) which if you watch the video, I think besides the engagement, that's like the number one other part of the video people are like, man, does it really wreck your feet that much? Uh, but you know, I really watched him like appreciate the outdoors that much more. And it was the same with Gabby. I mean, Gabby had a, a litany of, Help physical issues. You know, she felt the altitude, like she rolled her ankle really bad. But every night and every morning, like you just wake up and you go to sleep looking at the It's just an insane experience. And I I think a lot of people would say, Oh, I'd never, I could never run an ultra. I never do that. I think everybody should through hike. Like, even if it's just a couple days and you're doing five mile, whatever you can do, just put yourself out there and you're going to have a really rewarding experience.
0: Is it tough for you to kind of not get competitive when you're through hiking?
1: Uh, I think Billy and Gabby would tell you, yes, that I set too aggressive of like daily goals and agendas of how much we should walk. But for me, I didn't feel competitive with it. I mean, I love competing for sure. I love running, and it definitely keeps me, it feels like it keeps me young. You know, it's like what you grew up doing. It's fun to to put your, you know, for a gun to go off and to just see if you can get from a to b faster than somebody else but i don't feel i feel more connected with the nature side of through hiking like, you know like i haven't done any you know fkt's i've definitely thought about it i think it would be cool but i think if i were to do an fkt it would be on a trail that i already know intimately well. So like something like the JNT could be really cool because i've done it now twice, but I, or the the Tahoe River trail that i've through hiked, but like i wouldn't want to go, you know, try to do a route that i've never seen it because you're experiencing it in a totally different way.
0: What was going on with you professionally during that time? I know 2020 really tough to to small businesses. Were you impacted? by that at all?
1: I took a little bit, I started with them in 2016, but I took a bit of what I would call a sabbatical to start my own business and used Equator as my roaster, uh, in which I opened a coffee shop on UC Berkeley's campus. And then by 2020, I was a, a partner in two cafes and college campus is a great environment for a coffee shop unless it's a global pandemic. And so we actually closed the cafe. And so it was really the first time since, you know, I was an undergrad that I'd completely stopped working. And it definitely, it, it took me, it threw me for a loop. You know, I think you, career-wise, you kind of have a trajectory and you you start out on it. And if you're motivated and, you know, you're an athlete, like it's very easy to just keep pushing. And I felt like I was pushing forward more and more, but I actually, you know, some in some ways, like the positives I've gotten from that have been really high. You know, I got an opportunity to go back to Equator. Um, you know, they they welcomed me back after a couple months. When I realized, like my cafes, my cafes ended up being closed for about eighteen months. They both have since reopened, but uh, I have managers that run them now. But it gave me an opportunity to step back in at Equator and you know, it's, it says something for always keeping a positive relationship. And I, it's, I came back to Quater and got to really focus on a, a new element, more so on digital marketing and, and kind of had to learn how to, to work from home and like what that's like. And when you're an extrovert and you, you run coffee shops and like you, it was a very weird transition to all of a sudden I'm at home all the time. But it's a, uh, it's something that we, we all dealt with, you know, and I got to spend more out, time outside. I, I I'm very, very happy that Gabby and I have a, a now two Vishalas, but at the time we'd had a one-year-old Vichla that had a lot of energy that needed to burn and was very affectionate because if it was just me and Gabby, I think she would have been really pissed. Like I needed to, to let out some energy and, and get some cuddling with that dog. How
0: did running change during that time for you? Did you kind of see it less as a, a, a competitive venture and more as like, I guess, a life practice?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would definitely say so. I mean, I think it doesn't feel that long ago, but I think from a running standpoint, I really like, I was like, okay, well, there's no more racing. Like I'm not going to, if I'm not racing, I don't train hard.
0: But see, I think that's, that's very interesting because I feel like, I feel like a lot of people in the sport are so like, have such an attachment to like running for running sake that like, you know, lining up at a start line is like almost secondary if you're not doing it like professionally. Um, So I've always found that like, interesting when people are like, yeah, like if I, if I'm not signed up for a race, like I don't even think about running. Not that you don't think about it, but like you don't prioritize it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just more of like a practice, like running is a practice that I'll do. And then I love, but if there's what, what if I'm doing it for just the, the feeling of exercise, not for the trying to beat that. like who are you trying to beat. You know, I mean, I love Strava, but like, I don't, I just, I don't know. I just never have connected with that side of it. Like Strava has had an awesome impact on me. It keeps me more accountable. I can see positive, And I love the social as- aspect of it. But I'm on very few leaderboards. And I just don't care. You know, I just can't connect with that side of it. And it's like... So for 20 for me, you know, taking it back to 2020, I did other things. I actually started we converted our garage into a gym. I started lifting weights again that I hadn't done in like a handful of years. And I put on, I think, at least 10 pounds of muscle that like I haven't been injured since then and like have a better routine with that. And I started I used to cycle and I got more into cycling. It's it it was a good pause to kind of mix it up. And it it was honestly a bit of a reminder that like I was in a cycle. That every year I did, I had a very much routine and for having a year to not have it, I've appreciated 21, the back half of 21 and 22 in terms of racing seasons, a lot more. And I think like if you look at my Instagram for my last three races, I don't think I've ever been so happy as I've been celebrating those finishes because you when you don't have it for a while it just makes it that much sweeter and i it was a very conscious choice but it's also like a like i've just like viscerally been screaming finishing like just so freaking happy and like verge of tears and because it's it's so cool that we get to do this like i'm not going to be able to do it forever and i mean taking it back to my my grandpa for me it was just like we only get one body. We only get one opportunity to do this stuff. And at some point, like Gabby and I are going to have kids. There's be other priorities that I'm going to be super excited for. But like right now it's fun to be able to like wake up and just push yourself for X amount of hours and see how you do and be able to prioritize and train towards that.
0: So let's transition into this year then. Um, because I think you have had some really, really good success. I know you run for uh, rabbit elite now. Um, when did you sign with them?
1: Uh, I signed with them last year, actually, right before Western States.
0: Okay, cool. So walk me through, um, I guess, from uh, Western States to where we are now. Um, what was your mindset um, with races and full swing? And uh, yeah, I guess running running, technically professionally now. Yeah,
1: I, mean, I would say I'm, I'm quasi-professional. They're, they're very, very helpful. And I love being a part of their team. I think, you know, they're just two seconds on them man. like you know there's a lot of big running brands and i think there are a lot of great teams i think the thing that's really cool about rabbit is that they support a lot of different levels of runners between their rad team their trail elite team their road elite and their pro team you know i think running like i said before it's about a community and i think until you're on a team you don't totally know what it's like they are put a lot of effort into their teams and their athletes and collaborating. Like wanting being open to do projects and helping storytell. And like, it's just a really supportive community. And I think for anybody, you, you always want to feel like you're a team. I think that's the thing that is maybe people don't realize about ultra running is like, it's more of a team sport than people realize, especially with crews and pacers. Like it takes a village and they've been great to work with. But so for me, you know, it did kind of, formalize it a little bit in the sense of like i feel like okay i i do want to show show out for them for sure but at the end of the day i'm still running you know for my own sense of like i just want to see how i can do and they don't put pressure on any other athletes they don't say hey we want you to do these races or you should do that but i was really amped and i you know states didn't go the way i wanted to but i kind of looked at where i was in 2021 it was like you know I'm young, but I'm not at the beginning of my ultra running and I'm experienced. I know things I'm doing well. I want to challenge myself in a few different ways and try some different, some new races and also try my hat at some races I may be done once. So, uh, I signed up for a hundred miler called the Oregon Cascades and it ran, uh, ended up running about 105 miles and it was a new, ultra uh I know it's the furthest i've ever run which when i got to the last aid station and it was mile 99 and i knew there was still like six miles to go i was like all right this is more than 100 miles here we go but uh i really wanted to run under 20 hours and i was looking at the course and i really felt like i had the fitness and it just didn't go my way in states and that been kind of a time goal for me for a long time and so gabby and i went up there and Fortunately, I was able to, to squeeze in under 20 hours. I ran 1956 and couldn't recommend the race more. I mean, it runs from Bend to Sisters and just, like, it's all in the central Oregon. So much great single track. And it was a first-year 100, and it was so low-key, but, like, you, you instantly make a lot of friends and run with people. So I, I shut it down for a bit after that. And then for 22, you know, I, I wanted to try my goal was really to try a new race and then come back to races and see if I could improve. And so I signed up for black canyons, American river and Miwok. And, uh, I ran black canyons in February and it was an absolute, like just kicked my ass. I don't know if you can say that, but, Oh, Oh dude, it was so hot and just dry and like running in the desert. I mean, I was just blown away with the amount of guys that went off the front, you know, it was just so fast. And, I know I'm not like at that level, but you still, you, you want to tell yourself like, oh, I could run relatively close for a little bit. And I was kicked off the back 20 miles in and didn't feel like I was pushing myself too much, but it was hard to stay engaged. Cause I just didn't, I felt like I was moving pretty slow, but you know, I think like many ultras, you just kind of stick with it and try to problem solve. And I ended up running, you know, I still PR'd my my 100K time and ran 10:25, and like it def it motivated me that much more to have better California races than my Arizona race. And so I signed up for, or so I was in the American River and New and kept training. I ran more hard miles on the road than I have in a long time, and I think honestly one of the things I've picked up. In the bay area it's a different running culture than what i first was introduced to in southern california where it's just more a little bit more about getting in the mountains and exploring i think maybe it's just how runnable the trails are in the Marin head marin and you know there's just a lot of faster people here and maybe castrava was started in the bay whatever it is when people go out to run here they hammer and i kind of realized like if i want to run some of the times i do you know, I have to be more committed, committed to speed work and faster running. And so, I did more speed work, you know, in the the build to uh, American River than I ever have, and it paid off. I mean, I ran seven fifteen. I ended up coming in second, a distant second to to Tim Tolleson, but I'll take it. I took a bit of time off. You know, the turn between American River and New York is pretty tight. It's about five weeks, and so. I, I felt like I couldn't gain a ton more fitness. It was more about recovery, but at the same time, they're very different courses. American River is half on a bike path, you know, Cumulative has about 5,000 feet of elevation gain over 50 miles. Miwok has almost 12,000 all on trail. And so I did try to, to do a little bit more climbing, but it ended up being kind of a whirlwind last few weeks before the race for me with everything going on personally. And I definitely had to lean on like, I'm not even sure if I'm going to race. I'm just going to take this day by day and see if I can get to race week and feel okay. And I kind of got a little sick. It's like all like one thing after another, but I was able to kind of keep it balanced. And I did not think I would run that fast, but you know, we can, we can go through it more if you want.
0: Yeah, I'd like to. I I think I'll I'll tee it up a little bit. Um, So Miwok 100K is a super historic race that takes place in the Marin Headlands. It started in 1996, I believe, and it used to be a golden ticket race for Western states. It has around 12,000 feet of climbing. It's all pretty runnable though, which is like deceptive. So the times are pretty quick, but the early iterations of the race um, pretty signature names in the sport. Scott Jurek would come out and, and has won it a couple times. Hal Kerner, Dean Karnazes, uh, Dave Mackey had the course record for a while. Uh, Nikki Kimball, and I think Anton Grapichko won it one year. Um, and then they changed the course, I believe two or three years ago. I know it hasn't been run in two years because of pandemic stuff.
1: Yeah. I think I think they actually changed it like 2014, and then it hasn't been run since 19. But it's such a great course. They did definitely make it a bit harder. Uh, you know, they moved the start from Mir Beach to Stinson. And so it added a few thousand feet more and it's just that the climb out and the climb back down, both those trails are more technical. And so it did slow it down a little bit, but even then some of those earlier times are, are very impressive.
0: Yeah. And it kind of used to be part of, uh, the training blocks for, for folks, um, leading up to Western States. They would traditionally run, I believe, um, Lake Sonoma and then Miwok and then, then kind of toe the line up at uh, up in Tahoe, um, but you ran the third fastest time on the new course, which is like pretty incredible. And I think uh, you definitely surprised yourself, if I'm, if I am not mistaken. So I, I want to revisit your build up to that race because you said that it was kind of a whirlwind or a roller coaster for you. Can you share what what was going on with you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I. I... And I, I'm definitely like a momentum runner and I love consistency. And so for me, like being out of that consistency, I ended up flying to Ohio, you know, about two weeks, uh, two and a half weeks out and spent a week. Both my grandparents have entered hospice. My grandpa's 95, my grandma's 98. And the day I was flying out, she had a stroke. And so we spent a week. They're very, very stubborn people and they had been living alone this whole time. They never wanted to move into assisted living. And so we spent a week. You know, uprooting their lives and cleaning out their their home, and uh, you know, trying to be there and just spend time with them. But running was very much on the back burner for me. Although I was trying to like also work and balance that, um, and it was it was an emotionally draining period. You know, I think just trying to sit in it and be present and like be with them while at the same time like it's hard. You know, it's hard to think about other things when you have that going on. But so then I came back to the Bay and naturally got sick like two days later. And so just, just I mean, I think I did a run like the Friday, uh, eight days out of the race and I felt like garbage. Like in my mind, I was like, there's no way I could run but inevitably just kind of tried to sleep a lot and rest. And by Tuesday before the race, I was like, I feel pretty good. Like, and that's kind of when I was texting you and a couple other friends that like, Hey, I, I'm going to do the race. Can you crew me and pace me and help me out? And it really, it all came together. I mean, I think it was a bit, of. I'm most proud of the patience of just kind of like not saying like, Oh, I have no chance. I'm just not going to do it. I just kind of took it day by day and, and, Sometimes all you gotta do is just give yourself a chance to do it. Cause the training was there as much as I could have had maybe a perf better last two weeks. It was good enough. And I showed up and I was healthy and like ready. I was I showed up and I was really amped to race. I'm like ready to rock.
0: I feel like that's so hard though. Not kind of closing the door before you even start the race and like discounting yourself and, and kind of give, making excuses for yourself. You know, how did you think about that? Going into the race?
1: I mean, it is for sure. I I definitely agree. And I've had, I would say I've had races where I, I went into it not in a good mental state and then didn't have a good race. I mean, I think, I think what it comes down to is, can you kind of learn to like, let both these things happen? You know, like I'm not feeling good, but I'm also trying to rest and trying to put myself in the right position and like focus on the things that are going well, you know, and like, I just spent a lot of good time with my dogs and like Gabby was really there for me and like leaned into to friends and had good conversation and like, you know, just took care of like the things that I could take care of and control what I could control. And I will say, you know, if I had woken up Saturday or like the few days before and I just physically didn't feel right, I don't think I would have started, but the things that were going on were more emotional. And because I have a good emotional relationship with running it felt like it would be a good thing for me to do. You know, I didn't feel like I was going to be doing damage to my body or to my heart or mind. It felt like this is something that's going to feel really good. You know, I'm going to be able to let a lot of stuff out, and and I definitely did.
0: Was it surprising when uh, you came into the mile 38 station like half an hour uh, ahead of your splits?
1: The whole honestly, the whole day was surprising. You know, I mean, I, I went off we would start at 5 a.m., which is obscenely early for an ultra. Like that means like a two-something wake up. But I woke up and I was like ready to go. I was excited to get out of bed. And when we started, Dylan Bowman kind of went off the front and was kind of looking around nobody's running with Dylan. And one of the things I kind of took from that last week yeah. with my grandfather was like not to live in fear, which I think is, it sounds like a really cliche and like a heavy thing. Like, yeah, don't live in fear. But you know, i did see a lot of fear in him towards the end and fear of what the next step was and i know there were some challenges for him and it's not something that he said to me And he always said like hey you should live you know your best life and, and i'm proud of the things you're trying to do but i just kind of i really felt like you should go for things you know and i think maybe being close to like seeing this other this it's coming for all of us you know and we should put ourselves out there and you know, when you're ultra running, especially you're inherently running in fear of blowing up, of pushing too hard, of can I get there? And like, I I just was trying to be conscious of like, I'm just going to run, you know, and not put a limit on myself. And if I'm like, I will say like a mile and a half in of running with D- Debo, and he's chatting, I got a good reminder of like, I'm not quite there. Like I should slow down a little bit, feeling a little hot. And, but that wasn't mean like, I'm just going to walk, you know? And so like he went off, Uh, a little ahead of me really quickly but then you know i i still felt great and i just kind of ran off that and then everything was clicking like going into 30 you know i saw our friend david land at 13 and 26 and generally i stop at aid stations and like take a couple minutes reset and i always give myself like two to three minutes i put that in my splits like i plan for that and for whatever reason, Saturday, like I rolled through, I ran through eight stations and he was like totally ready. He was calling me, just like I would finish whatever calories I had right before. He just passed me a bottle, passed me my gels, and I kept moving. And like that felt right. And it was kind of a momentum thing because I wasn't that far ahead of my first 13 mile splits. And then, but like coming into 26, I really, the gap kind of stopped pretty early on between Dylan and I. And then going into 30, when I saw you, I felt so good. I felt better than I'd felt 10 miles in. And I was just like, I, I can't believe how good I feel. And from 30 to cardiac, it's a pretty long climb. And I kind of felt like, okay, like this will be a really good, you know, telling of how strong I'm running or if I maybe because the heavens you can run them really fast and then really blow up the second half of the race and I ran every step up to cardiac and felt completely under control when I got there and the gap between him and I was relatively the same and again like those all these like little things they just give you that much more confidence and like I was just like food was t- coming going down really well like everything just was clicking and I think the only rough, slightly rough stretch I had was actually from cardiac out to, as you get towards Bolinas Ridge, you know, the single track up on coastal, it's just, you just, it's a real juxtaposition of like the heavens are really fast and really smooth. Right? And then all of a sudden you're running on a little bit more technical trail, like the gradient, the trail is narrow, a little bit overgrown, kind of slightly cambered. And so I just wasn't, I didn't feel like I was moving that fast. But then when I got to Bolinas Ridge, I just like completely flow state was just moving. And by the time I got to Randall, you know, the Randall aid station mile 49, there's a mile and a half descent and then a mile and a half straight back up. And I hadn't seen him. I was going down this end, going down. like, I still haven't seen Dylan. I can't believe I'm like relatively this close to him. And then I looked at my watch and I realized I was going to get there like at noon, which was like at... Well, over 30, 40, almost 40 minutes ahead of what I told my crew and pacer to be there. And I see him going back up, you know, as I get close to the aid station. And I get there and they're completely not there. And I've definitely never done that because I gave A splits. Like I never, generally, if I'm hitting my splits, I'm doing a great job because you put your out your goal. Like that's, you don't want your friends to be, to miss you. And, uh, I get there at noon, and they had not gotten there, and so filled up water, you know, talked to the the volunteers for a sec, and just it's like, well, I'm probably going to have to hike a good amount of the climb going back up Randall. Like it's on 50 miles in, you know, like I'm definitely going to start feeling. It. And I basically ran every step of that. And I think one of the highlights of the day for me was my pacer Eric he got there like 20 minutes after me and he ran apparently like I, mean, I could see it because when he caught me, he, he was worked and he ran like six 30 m- pace up Randall to catch me and just shouted my name. And he found I was like totally taken aback. Cause I thought at that point, well, I'm running solo and I was feeling a little bit of like the lower energy towards the end of the race, but still trying to move strong. And then I got like a, such a great jolt for him. I mean, I couldn't believe he ran all that way just to catch me after I not been there and i thought he would just stay there and not worry about it but it was pretty cool
0: it goes back to the point you made earlier about like ultra running being kind of like a pseudo team sport at least more than it than it seems on paper
1: he was a good good teammate like we we started running and like especially the last five miles it has only happened to me in a couple races but like when you sometimes you smell the finish like you just start moving and I was running and he was like shouting, like trying to get people out of the way because I was not going to be able to stop. And like we went, we hammered down Matt Davis trail. And I mean, I'm definitely still feeling it. Like my knee hurts, my left heel hurts, but it was such a good feeling. And I was glad I got to share it with him.
0: That's such a, a cruel way to end a race too, because that trail is one of the more technical trails in the area. And these runners have been out for, yeah, over nine hours. Uh, running pretty, pretty runnable stuff. Otherwise, so you cross the finish line, and this takes us f- full circle to my first question. Um, but when did you when did you get the news about uh, your grandfather?
1: So yeah, I finished, and uh, I'd say like about an hour later. Um, you know, I, I felt great and then was just enjoying it, and then went and called my, my mom. And I knew right away, you know, I mean, she's, she was happy for me, but she's like, I have some news. And I've been thinking about him a few times, but he wasn't like in the forefront of my head and totally broke down. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm a crier, but you know, I'm not against crying and just like totally, I think the rawness of the day and just all the, you just hits you. Like you feel all those feelings. And fortunately, you know, my friends, David and Tony were with me. And so that helped, but it was—I was like, "Wow, I can't believe that both of these things happened in the same day."
0: It's such wild timing, and it's—I—I I don't know how I how I would respond to to losing a loved one while I was doing something like, yeah, having the best run of my life, essentially. How have you thought about the occurrence of both of those at the same time? like a week removed from the race.
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely thought about it a lot because, you know, I was in Ohio, we are going through this really heavy thing, but at the same time, I think the point of a funeral, you, you want to remember the best of somebody. And when I think about my grandpa, like my best memories of him are, he was the one that taught me like how to throw a football, you know, and like put the laces in the right spot. Like I tailgated for Ohio state games with him when I was really young. Like, just what he loved you know and he he tried out for the high state football team you know in the mid 40s and he's built like me like five seven like he was a hundred and some pounds and he was like a right guard apparently like i don't know it's a different sport then but that was always what we connected over and so you know i think it it feels fitting that that it i was able to have you know a a really special race on that day because he he couldn't really connect to ultra running it's just so out there but he always connected to the competition side and the sports side and when i would have a good race he loved telling his other friends at the jcc like my grandson just and i'm like grandpa they have no idea what what you're talking about he's like yeah but you're like an amazing athlete you're still doing it and so it made him really proud so i think you know at the end of the day i'd like to think that I, i made him pretty proud
0: Awesome. Well, I think that is a, a really good good point to end our conversation. Elon, thanks so much for, for joining me and, and being so open about, about your experience. We got to do this again sometime
1: soon. Yeah, I love it, man. Let's go for a run.
0: That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. I want to say thanks to Elon for the conversation. Thanks to Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here at Blister, please take good care of yourself. Keep moving forward. And we'll talk to you again next week.